How was school? I learned the monkey bars. That's great. Music is so important. We did finger painting. To take a camera or something. Yeah, take some pictures. We're going on a one-way field trip to Mars. Let us know if you need a chaperone. Take the device-free dinner challenge. A common sense idea from Common Sense Media. I got so for- excited I forgot about that. Like I was saying, good morning, church. Uh, sometimes life is like that, if we're honest, right? Uh, this morning, we're continuing this series called Connected 3D, and I'll catch you up real quick. But before I do, let me start with this question. What does our behavior say about what we value? I want you to think about that question. What does our behavior say about what we value? Last week we started this series called Connected 3D. We're talking about technology, the family, faith, and how all of it's related and connected and how we connect to really what matters most. And we said this last week, and this is true, this is obvious, everyone knows this. Technology is changing. It's constantly changing. The question that I want us to wrestle with is how is it changing us? And what I believe to be true is that there's been a very subtle shift really over the last four, five, six years, that has had a major and significant impact on all of our lives. I don't know uh, if you remember this, but I remember growing up uh, as a kid, Saturday morning was it. It's what I look forward to every week because Saturday morning something happened that didn't happen the rest of the week. You know what I'm talking about. Saturday morning was when cartoons came on TV, right? And as a kid, this was so exciting. I mean, if you were able to get home after school quickly enough during the week, there was about, an, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of, like, kid programming. But, but honestly, Saturday morning is where the good stuff was. That's where you had the shows like The Smurfs. We're talking Transformers, Ninja Turtles, and my favorite, He-Man. I mean, these were the shows that every kid lived to, to see. And so Saturday morning, you wake up. Your parents don't have to wake you up. You wake up on your own. You go to the couch and, and lay down there and turn on the TV. And you could, for about two or three hours, you had these cartoons that would come on TV. And it was fantastic. It was heaven for, for us kids, right? But then something would happen every Saturday morning, you know, around 11, 11.30, 12 o'clock. Those cartoons would stop, and this other programming would come on TV that nobody really cared about. And at that point, that was sort of your cue to get up and to go on and do something else. And that's when, you know, you start seeing kids outside doing strange things like riding bikes and playing ball. Because the the cartoons had gone off, and that was a natural cue to get up and go on and do something else. And honestly, this is how all of life worked as it relates to our technology in those days. Because there were these natural stopping points uh, all around us that gave us a cue to get up and go do something else. Even even TV shows for our parents and for adults, these had these things called commercial breaks where you could stop and get up and go get a snack. You know, you didn't pause it, you just got up when those came on and did what you needed to do. Or every episode, every TV show, there was an end to that episode. And this is hard to believe and imagine that it used to be this way. We live in 2018 now, we don't deal with these kinds of problems, but you had to wait an entire week for the next episode to come on unless something crazy was going on. It was the end of the season and you had to wait several you know, weeks or months for it to come on. But you had to stop and wait. But all of those were these natural breaks, these actual stopping points that gave us an opportunity to, to stop what we were doing and to go on and do something else. And this is how life worked. And we talked about this a little bit last week um, because this happens to all of us. 
you know, we, we do this kind of things where, where, where life have the, these natural stopping points and we have an opportunity to, to change and, and, and do something different. But over the last five or six years, this subtle shift has taken place in our culture, in our world, and in our technology where those don't actually exist in the same way anymore. Have you ever done this? We, we talked about this last week. Have you ever done this thing where, uh, just like the video, you find yourself looking at your, your phone, your device, you're physically present with someone else, but you're ignoring them because you've been sucked into the glow of your, of your screen? Uh, this became such a problem about five or six years ago that a team of experts were gathered uh, in a, on, a, on a university campus in Australia, and they were tasked to come up with a word for this phenomenon. And they were given this definition to work with. I think you'll see it on the screen uh, above me. Uh, the definition was the practice of ignoring one's companion or companions in order to pay attention to one's phone or other mobile device. Uh, up to this point in time, in 2012, there wasn't really a word for this, but people did this all the time. And so they, they got in sort of a war room and they had big whiteboards. And for days they were scribbling up words and different ideas about what you would call this. And they finally came up with this word. Maybe you've heard it. It's called fubbing. Fubbing is the act of, or the practice of ignoring one's companion or companions in order to pay attention to one's phone or mo- other mobile device. Fubbing is the combination of two words, phone plus snubbing. So if you didn't know what that was called, now you know. This is sort of like a public service announcement. This is, this is what happens. I don't know if you've ever, ever been fubbed, or maybe you're a fubber. I don't know. But fubbing is the practice of ignoring the people next to you because you've been sucked in to the glow of your screen. This is what it's called, fubbing. And we, we, we've, we've done this. We've fubbed each other. You know, We've gotten sucked into our screens. We have fubbed our kids. We've done this because... The draw of technology, more often than not, is away from people, not towards them. I mean, this happened with TV, right? This happened with with TV in that it all changed. With the advent of things like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and whatever your streaming uh, option or choice is, you know, there's no longer commercials. There's no longer breaks. There's no longer, even if you end an episode, you can keep watching the next one. My children, they can watch cartoons whenever they want, and they can watch as many as they want, wherever they want. It's completely changed. For us as adults, it's changed as well. We can watch the shows that we want, as many as we want, wherever we want, on any device we want, in any place we want. It's changed. Those stopping cues don't exist. In fact, some of you, if you're honest, you probably choose shows to watch based on shows that have multiple seasons and multiple episodes. If it's season one and there's four episodes, you'll wait. Because you don't want to get, you know, four episodes and have to, have to wait for the next one. You know, we, we like to binge watch. We even created that word. But it's not just TVs. It's also with our music. Do you remember when the first iPod, Apple iPod came out? Up to this point, you know, if, if you wanted to listen to music, you had like a CD player. Maybe you were really cool and had a portable CD player. But when that CD came to an end, you had to pop it out and pop a new disc in. Or if before that you had a cassette tape, you know, you had to flip over from side A to side B. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Or there were those record players, which are really ancient, but are coming back. Eight tracks are not making a comeback. All of those mediums had natural stopping cues, natural stopping points. But with the Apple iPod, the, the selling, the tag was you could have a thousand songs in your pocket. Literally, an endless supply of music in your earbuds without interruption. There were no stopping cues. There was no reason to stop. 
But it wasn't just a problem with TV or now with music, but, but even, do you remember when you used to wake up and you would get your cup of coffee and you might get your newspaper to read, that, that big paper thing? And every news article had a beginning and an end. Every newspaper had a front page and a back page. And at some point when you finished, you closed it and you walked on and did the next thing. There was a stopping point there. There was a stopping cue. Do you remember uh, that, you know, even then, if you needed to flip on the TV for a moment in the morning to catch up on the latest weather, you could do that pretty quickly and then it would hit a commercial break and then you would, you would leave and get on with your day and your life. The problem that we have, though, is that we no longer have these stopping cues in our technology-driven life. And with that... We've been put at odds with what Jesus said was actually most important. So I want you to think again about what your behavior says, about what you value most. And then I want you to think about what did Jesus say mattered most? My guess is if I ask you that question, what did Jesus say mattered most, that probably almost every person in the room could answer that question. Even people who maybe, if you showed up today and you don't really know much about church or God or the Bible, you could take a good guess and you would probably be right. The good news is we don't have to guess because Jesus was asked this question on multiple occasions and he always said the same thing. He was asked this question, what's most important or what, what is the most important commandment? And when asked that question, Jesus always came up with this response. He said is this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then he said this, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The two most important things is to love God with all you have and all you are, and to love each other as you love yourself. This is the greatest, this is the most important thing to Jesus, is that we love God and that we love each other. What's interesting to me is that after, in, in your Bibles, you've got in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four different gospel accounts, the four stories written by different biblical authors about the life, death, resurrection, and then the ascension of Jesus Christ. After those four accounts, the rest of your New Testament, Acts through Revelation, is pretty much instructions about how we do that about how we actually love God better, how we love each other better. This is the practice, the practical application of how we live out what Jesus told us to do, uh, how we do what matters most. And, and in the book of Romans, if you want to open up your Bibles to Romans, we're going to look there in just a minute. Romans is one of those first letters you'll come to after the Gospels. And in Romans, there's a guy by the name of Paul who's writing a letter to the church in Rome some 20, 25 years after Jesus has left the planet. And he's trying to tell this group of believers, this church in the city of Rome, the great city of Rome, about God's desire for humanity. That God's plan and God's desire all along is that everyone, Jew and Gentile, everyone on the planet would come to know of the great love of God. And that for those who come to believe in God, who, who come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, for them there is no condemnation. For them, there is nothing but eternal life. This is God's hope and God's desire for the world that everyone would come to know the great love of God. And for the first 11 chapters of this letter in Romans, Paul is laying that out as explicitly as he can. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. This is what God wants for you to know that God has a deep desire for the world and for every person on the planet to come to know Jesus, to know the great love 
of God through Jesus on the cross. And then in chapter 12, Paul does something that I think is really interesting. He stops and he makes a pretty hard turn. And for the rest of his letter, what he's going to do is he's going to say, now that you know this, and remember, he's not talking to the world. He's not talking to people outside the church. He's not talking to people who haven't given their life to Jesus. He's talking to people like you and me who have ascribed our lives to following Jesus of Nazareth. He says, now that you know, now that you have experienced the great love of God through the person of Jesus Christ, through the Son of God, now that you have put your faith in Jesus, and you have given your life to following him. Something has to change about how you behave and about what you value. Something has to be different about you in light of the fact that you now know of the great love of God that is available to every person, but that you have yourself experienced through Jesus Christ on the cross. And I don't have time to read all of what he said this morning, but I want to focus in on just a few things. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Romans 12, and we're going to start in verse 9, and of course it'll be on the screen behind me. But I want you to hear what Paul says here, because it's almost as if Paul is trying to give these believers in Jesus a brand new set of internal values. A new way, a new direction, uh, something new to live from deep inside of them based on what they believe about Jesus. And he starts this way in Romans 12, verse 9. He says, don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't pretend. Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love each other. Now, if you're like me, you're probably imagining those believers in Rome, just like you and I, they're, they're probably on their smart tablets and, and they're fubbing each other, right? <laughs> like they're present. Now, I know they didn't have those, but, you know, the truth is we've always been really good at finding ways to ignore each other, right? We've always been good at finding ways to devalue each other and to ignore each other, even when we're present with each other. We found ways to be physically present but absent spiritually, emotionally, mentally. These devices that we have in our pockets really haven't changed the situation. I'm trying to dig mine out. They haven't changed the situation. Maybe, maybe they've amplified it, but they haven't changed the situation. My daughter was asking me last night, she was like, Dad, how are you going to talk about our devices and the Bible? Like, they didn't have these back then. I'm like, you're right. They didn't. But you know what's amazing? Is that these aren't the problem. These may amplify the problem, but these are not the problem. The problem is that we have long had this issue of being physically present with people, but being absent mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually. Especially from the people we love most, especially from the people we're supposed to love most. And what Paul says here, and I think he would say it to us too, is if you've given your life to Jesus, I want you to practice really Loving each other. And then he says this. Hate what is wrong. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Now, you don't have to be a preacher to figure this out. We could preach the whole sermon on technology on this verse, right? 
there's no doubt someone in the room needs to hear this today, that when it comes to your devices and your technology and all that you have at your disposal, that we need to get back to hating what is wrong because you know as well as I do that these things can be used in such ways to look at things that are not of God, to participate in things that are not of God. We're going to talk more about this next week, but I wonder if it's not time that we don't get back to hating what is evil and holding tightly to what is good. One of the things Alicia and I tell our kids often is this, and this isn't revolutionary. We didn't come up with this. You know this. We tell them, always, always, always choose to do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing. The right thing is very rarely the easy thing. You and I, we're going to drift into things that are easy, but we're going to drift into bad behavior. We're going to drift into things that are not of God. We're going to drift into doing what's easy, and it's quite often the wrong thing. Always, always, always choose to do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing. I'll guarantee you, you will never regret it. Always hold on, hold tightly to what is good. And then Paul says this, love each other. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, in case you're wondering, Paul didn't say love each other by liking each other's posts and pictures on social media and take delight in leaving comments for each other with lots of emojis. That's not what he said. (laughs) That's what we do, but that's not what he said. He said love each other with genuine, like real, authentic affection. Love, practice loving each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, I do want to take a quick time out and tell you this. Earlier this week, you probably got an email. I hope you did. If you're on our Riverside email list, you got an email from me talking about this idea here in Romans 12.10 about honoring each other. So real quickly, let me tell you this. In two weeks, we're starting a, a new series called Difference Makers. And what I want to do for those two weeks is I want us to practice Romans 12.10. I want us to practice honoring each other. And here's the idea. Hopefully you got the email and you read it, but if not, I'll catch up real quick. I want to, over those two weeks, I want us to find ways to honor people here at Riverside who are difference makers. And what I mean by that is literally people who are trying to live different because of Jesus, and you've noticed it, you've seen it. You've seen them inviting uh, people to church, investing in others, and engaging in what matters most. You can go to our website. There's a very short little form where you can nominate them by name and say how you've seen them um, being a difference maker in our church, in our community, or in our world. We would love to, over those two weeks, practice, live out Romans 12.10 and honor people. This is one way that we love each other. It's by honoring people who are trying and striving to live different because of Jesus. Time out over. Whenever I do um, marriage counseling, premarital counseling for young couples, I always get them together and I always say the same thing. I always look the young man in the eye and I'm like, here's what you need to know about marriage. God is putting you in her life so that you can be the physical, tangible, manifest presence of the unconditional love of God from this day on to her. And then I look the young lady in the eye, and I tell her the same thing. Here's what you need to know about marriage. God has chosen you. He has put you in his life so that you can be for him the tangible, physical, manifest presence of the unconditional love of God to him. This is God's picture of marriage, that two people come together and that for each other you become 
the manifest presence of the unconditional love of God for each other. And if you can practice that, and it will not be easy, but if you can practice loving each other that way, your marriage will stand. I think it's absolutely true for marriage, and I think it's absolutely true for the church. That this is God's heart and his desire for you and I, that you and I as the church, that I would love you and I would be the physical manifest presence of the love of Jesus Christ, the unconditional love of God in your life. And that you are to be for me the tangible, physical, manifest presence of the unconditional love of God in my life. And that we should do that for each other. And that this is what defines us. This is what is different about us as a church. That we practice loving each other the way Christ has loved us. And it is not easy. But when we do this, we do what Jesus said matters most. We do what Jesus says matters most. But Paul didn't stop there. He keeps going. And he says this in verse 11. And I didn't write this. He did. So you can get mad at him. (laughs) He said, Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And this is where I'll have to step on your toes and I'll have to step on mine as well. Because you know as well as I do that if our screens have given us anything, they've given us permission to be lazy. Uh, we get sucked in and we get distracted. And I think Paul would be the first one to tell you, as would I, that there is nothing wrong with rest and that you and I need time to rest. In fact, maybe more in our day and age than ever before, you need time to hit pause on the craziness of your life, of your work, of your family, of your schedule. And you need time to pause and rest. Sabbath is a biblical value. It is important that you and I take time to rest. It is biblical. It is spiritual. In fact, I have been known to say, and I'll say it again, that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap, to rest, to take a break. But could it be, let me just ask the question, could it be? Could it be that our screens have drawn us in and that screen time is not the same as Sabbath? And that we have mistaken rest for laziness. The definition of lazy is literally the unwillingness to work or to use energy. And I think the thing that we have to wrestle with and answer, well, it's like everything else. Are are we in control of our devices or have they somehow gained control over us? Paul says that that you and I have a different source of strength and energy that comes from the rest we receive in Christ. And it's, it's here in verse 12. He says, Rejoice in our confident hope. Rejoice and gain strength and energy from the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ. He is the source of our energy. He is the source of our strength. And when we do that, we are compelled to love people the way that he loves people. And this is how this happens. We are patient in trouble. We keep on praying, and when God's people are in need, we are ready to help them. We're always eager to practice hospitality. This is how we practice loving each other the way Christ has loved us. Through patience, prayer, and the practice, the practice of hospitality. So let me just ask you again. What does your behavior say about what you value? 
This week when I was thinking and praying and reading over these scriptures and spending time with this, I I wrote this down. I wanted to just read this and share this with you. It's short. I wrote this down. I said, and I think this is true. Your behavior communicates your internal values. And when your behavior does not communicate the internal values you hold most dear, then it may be time for you to hit reset and change your behavior to match your true internal values. Let me read that one more time, and I want you to think about if this works in your life. Your behavior, the way you act, it communicates your internal values. When your behavior does not communicate the internal values you hold most dear, then it may be time for you to hit reset and change your behavior to match your true internal values. Because the way we behave, it communicates what we value and what matters most. And what I fear is that the, the, the draw of technology so often, it's, it's away from people, not towards them. Some of you know, if you don't know, I'll tell you real quick, but out in the lobby we have this thing called the at-home center, and that's where you can get more of this stuff for Connected 3D. But for every series uh, we do here at Riverside, I always put books in there that I'm currently reading or studying or going through to help me prepare to preach and, 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 and to bless and hopefully uh, honor you guys. Um, so if you're ever interested to, to learn more or to do a deeper dive on any subject, you can, you can go out there and you can find those books under my little section. But one of those books you'll find is a book I read for this series uh, by Andy Crouch called The TechWise Family. And inside that book, uh, Andy lays out 10 different TechWise commitments. And I wanted today to read to you number three on his list because I think it communicates a different kind of internal value. He said, we are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day and one day a week and one week a year, we turn off our devices and we worship, we feast, we play, and we rest together. Don't you love that? Now, I don't know if your family can do this, but think about if you could actually apply this. That, that if, if, if in your family, if you could adopt this mentality that, that one hour a day is screen-free time. Maybe that's dinner for you. Maybe the dinner time, that hour, and I know you're probably thinking, we don't normally sit down for an hour. Probably not because you're probably distracted by your devices and something dings, beeps, or buzzes, and you got to get up and check it, right? But if you put these far, far away, maybe you could sit with each other for an hour and talk and laugh and play and eat a meal together. What if one day a week at home became screen-free time at home? What would you do? Alicia and I, not because of this book, we, just, we were just getting tired of how it was going in our family. But about a year or two years ago, we started this with our family. You can ask our kids, they'll tell you, that two days a week at our house, when they come home from school, it's screen-free day. And then it, when those days are, and they have to find something else to do. And it's been a real blessing for our family to, to discover that you can actually, you know, have time at home that's, that is screen-free time. And they get to actually, you know, play with all those toys we bought at Christmas. It's amazing. (gasps) You know? Or what if for one week a year, this may even sound impossible, you had a screen-free week. What if you went on vacation and you just did not use your phone, except maybe for pictures and for me, a GPS? (gasps) What if everything else, it was just turned off, you know? I love, I learned about one company, I think they're in Germany, and, and they do this for their employees. Uh, when they take their vacation, they take a two-week vacation, and instead of the typical email autoresponder, uh, this is what is sent out when, when their employee re- receives an email and they're on vacation. The person who sent the email gets this back in response. It says, this person is on vacation. 
Your email has been deleted. They will never read it. They will be back in two weeks. Feel free to contact them then. Don't you love that? Like, I want to do that. I mean, I love you guys, but you know what I'm saying? You know, what an amazing thing. Because one of the worst things about vacation is when you got to come back and answer all those emails. They just delete them, you know, and they're not even there. It's fantastic. Could you even do that? For us to be that disconnected from those things, to have such a deep set of internal values that say the people that I'm present, physically present with, they matter most. I once heard Mark Batterson, he's an author, a preacher, a speaker, he said this. He said, I want the people who know me best to respect me most. Never forgotten that. I want the people who know me best to respect me most. And I'll tell you that happens when you and I make a decision to love those who are near, to really love them. To love those who are near and to really love them. Because real love is not just communicated. You can say I love you all you want, but you and I both know that real love is not just communicated. Real love is demonstrated. We even say things like actions speak louder than words because it's true. It's true. Words matter. Don't get me wrong. But real love is not just communicated. It's demonstrated. And sometimes the greatest demonstration is when you turn this off. Church, if you would, let's stand together. You and I, we we love people not from a place of superiority, but from a place of humility. Because that is how Christ loves us. And we know that this is true. We know that real love is not just communicated, it's demonstrated because the way you and I know that we are loved by God, the way you and I know that we are loved by Jesus is not, if we're being honest, it's not because of anything Jesus ever said. It's not because of anything Jesus ever taught. The way that you and I know that we are loved by God is because Jesus demonstrated that love for us on the cross. Paul would also say these words to the Romans. He said, God demonstrates his love in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. So maybe the most loving thing, the most spiritual thing we can do this week is stop looking down and start looking up at people. Maybe the most spiritual, the most loving thing we can do this week is to stop looking down and start looking up the cross of Christ. And maybe then you and I can get back to demonstrating to each other what this love, this love that loving others the way Christ loved us, this is our deepest internal value. This love that we have received from Christ for us to demonstrate that love to each other. I believe this, this is how we truly, truly connect to each other and to God who first loved us and gave his son for us. Let's sing.